My name is Priya and welcome to Start a Conversation, the podcast. This is a safe space where we will talk all things stuttering and communication. So welcome to part two of my conversation with Ezra from Stutterology. If you missed part one, make sure to listen to that one and let's get on with the episode. Um, okay, so I think we'll move away from school but talk more about fluency and stuttering. Um, and I know you're really something that you're really passionate about and I would love to find out more about why or how these ideas should be diverted from. So I guess the first question is, why do you think fluence should be no longer linked to stuttering and why should we move away from fluency goals? Definitely, yeah. No, I, I um, this actually ties into, because I, I read some of your questions before and, you know, you ask, like, what is something you've learned from creating stutterology? And it's it's this, it's this idea um, that, fluency is a terrible and harmful goal. Um, I think it's something that I knew wasn't great before. Like I've known that I don't like it. I don't think they're good goals, but I would have never been so firm as I am now, but I've had so many people reach out to me and, and really say, yes, this is harmful. Yes. This is traumatizing for people who stutter. And it's helped me, I think, see outside of just me. Cause sometimes when we, it's people who stutter, I think, especially we see it and we're like, oh, well, like, yeah, this hurt me, but like, I can't talk on behalf of other people, you know, and not like I can't talk, but just like, who am I, you know, and, and maybe there's just me, maybe I did something. And I think it's probably like a human thing. Um, and I realized with the creation of Stutterology that I was not the only one and a lot of people felt this way but they just weren't really saying it out loud and they weren't really talking a lot about it because there was so much pushback from people, including within the stuttering community. And one of the things that I appreciate about myself is this is so hard to say. It's hard to talk positively about myself, but it's that I can figure out like this, like deeper thing that people are trying to say and help them form how to say it. And so when I talk about it, like I'm not telling a speech therapist or telling people who said, or you can't ever do easy onset. You can't ever want fluency. You can't use any, t- I'm not saying any of that. I'm saying that when the goal of speech therapy is fluency, you are setting stutters up for failure and you're going to harm them and you're going to silence them. And I feel very confident saying that. Because it has, it, I just don't think there's any other way of seeing it. Because oops, when I say fluency goals, I don't necessarily mean like fluency shaping techniques. There's a, a different variety of things that that could mean. But when I'm saying fluency goals, I'm talking about things like, which people still have. I had these. I've seen them on 2023 um, assignments of get repetitions down to like X x number of words in this long of a conversation or count every make a tally mark every time you stutter during this conversation Um, or in after speech therapy as you go about the world um or something like um um, reduce you know get your fluency to five percent in a five minute conversation on the phone and there are still these goals that not only are they harmful, which they are, but they're also not effective. Because like I mentioned earlier, my speech therapy experience, which is a very common one, is you start off with this high disfluency, quote unquote, amount I'm doing air quotes for audio uh, purposes here. And then you two years later, you're quote unquote, not stuttering as much. But your experience in the real world hasn't changed, right? Part of the like confusion around stuttering, part of the things that scares SLPs is that it's so variable. I think it's also one of the things that makes stuttering really challenging to live with when you're growing up, especially, but all the time, is that you never really know what kind of a day it's going to be with your speech or even an hour it's going to be or a minute. It changes all of the time. And there's factors, right? So that we, we know in higher stress situations and this and this. But at the end of the day, like we really don't actually know for sure. We can't project for with for sure. 
And so these are these measures of how much somebody openly stutters in a conversation where other people notice it just doesn't make any sense because it doesn't tell you anything. It doesn't tell you how much they're actually stuttering. And it also doesn't tell you anything that's going on deeper in this in like in them. You know, they're very much the like if you people probably who are listening to this know what the stuttering iceberg by Joseph Sheehan is. But it's this idea of like, like an iceberg, there's a little bit that you see, but there's so much more going on and underneath that we don't see. And because as a society, like you have people who said to you, I would have never known you stuttered. I've, I had, I've had that too. And it's more, it's less of a like, okay, well, part of this is that maybe I don't stutter as much because I'm doing a lot of like avoidance or this, but people who stutter, when we listen to each other, we can pick up on stuff, right? Like, like when I listen to like President Biden talk in the US, like I pick up on stuff that he's doing to avoid a stutter that someone else isn't going to do. And those things wouldn't count for a fluency goal. They'd be like, yep, he was fluent there. But I'm there knowing that dude is struggling with his speech right now. And he's avoiding a, a word. And he's doing all of these extra things like, no, this is this, this, this is getting missed with fluency goals, completely skipped over, um, and it's not addressing them. In fact, it's, in fact, I argue that it's encouraging someone to do things like that because he could get an A, pl- a plus on the fl- fluency, but how much is it actually affecting someone and how much is it actually like impacting their communication? And so my thought and many other people I'm I'm not the first one I'm not the only one is is instead of fluency to be focused on other things like easier communication um more confident communication and then other like other more um more like lifestyle things with the person right so maybe addressing some of the deeper things of what they're thinking how they feel about the world which to be fair speech therapists at least in the US aren't always equipped to do so there does come a time when, you know, they need to kind of be like, okay, do I need to refer this someone to this person to someone else? Or is this something that I can address? Because it is still about communication, right? There is still this like, you know, how can I help build somebody's confidence um, and not really mind the stuttering, like be okay listening to it. Because in my opinion, what fluency goals teach is silence is is avoidance is you'll get an a plus if you can avoid stuttering this whole conversation no matter how much it impacts you no matter how much it screws up your ability to communicate the way that you want to so for some people it's true that easier communication might look like less stuttering if you had asked me as a kid i probably would have said that but i it was because i was comparing it to something that wasn't real it was like, would you rather stutter or not stutter? Well, obviously, as a teenager, I said I would rather not stutter. Duh. But that's not the actual trade-off that's ha- 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 happening, right? When you're not stuttering. It's would you rather stutter or always be doing easy nonsense, always obsessing about, you know, like, what words you know? Are you expanding your vocabulary? Are, there's all these other things. Which one would you rather have? Would you rather do like filler sounds to start in every conversation for the rest of your life, would you rather stutter? And I, even as a kid, like would have picked, I'd rather stutter because the other one sounds even more exhausting to me. And yet that's like, no one tells people that there's a trade-off, you know, it's just like stutter or not stutter, but that's, that's not the only option, you know? And, and I think it can be really like, even when you're told, you know, it's okay to stutter. This is a safe place to stutter. But also, we're going to praise you when you talk without stuttering. It just doesn't work like that. It's it's sending very contradictory messages. And when you're a kid, like, kids aren't dumb. Like, they know if they're being praised, they're like, wow, that came out so smooth. Then it, this is saying they like it better when I speak without stuttering. You know, and that does stuff as we we've both talked about, like as as a kid, like and as an adult, too, but especially as a kid in those 
formative years when we are literally programmed to want to please the adults around us in order to survive because we don't have any agency as a kid. So you, you're reading in all of this, perhaps, but it's you don't have to read very far. You know, it's pretty clear when somebody goes, wow, like, or, or oh, let's say that again without the bumps, which personally, I, I hate language, like, but bumpy speech because it's acting like stutter is a bad word. It's not. It's just the way some of us talk sometimes. And I think that can really get just really invalidate kids who stutter. Um, And some people will say that fluency goals are only for preschool aged kids. But the reality even of that is that in any program you look into, they say that 80% of these preschoolers will stop stuttering in their program, right? But there, you know what other situations where 80% of stuttering preschoolers eventually stop stuttering is people who don't go to speech therapy at all. Like that's just the statistic. <laughs> so there's no evidence that these goals, even for preschoolers, are actually like helping And for that 20% of kids that will continue to stutter, it's shaming them from a very early and very very formulative years. And I constantly wonder if there's more than 20% of kids that continue to stutter, but some of those kids have already learned how to desperately hide it. And so they don't, they end up getting, you know, like, yeah, you're successful. Um, You're doing great. You don't stutter anymore. And now they feel more isolated than ever because like what you said, they, they, they don't even get to go tell someone, Hey, I stutter. Like they are so low. And so it just doesn't benefit even kids that will grow out of stuttering. It will only benefit them if like those goals are more focused on them being able to comfortably communicate and however that means for them, because it will look different, especially as you get older, it really starts to look different, right? But everyone communicates differently, um, but just what's easier for for them and really addressing, really going past that. Um, I don't think it would really hurt anyone to to make that change (laughs) in the way we approach speech therapy for kids. And right now it is harming people so much. And we've seen changes in like ABA in a lot of the autism speech therapy stuff, we've seen shifts of instead of forcing kids to sit still and make eye contact, people are learning. Actually, those goals are not helpful. And actually, they are traumatizing these kids and they're making it hard for these kids. So instead of doing that, instead of trying to force people into socially acceptable things, let's try to change what we define as socially acceptable so that people can be more comfortable. And, I, and we haven't seen that change in stuttering therapy. We've seen it in other aspects in, 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 uh, with other dis- disabilities, but we haven't seen it in stuttering. Fluency goals are still very common. Programs, I won't name the program in case you would be affected by it, but there's very popular programs for preschoolers that are still very focused on correcting these moments of disfluency and praising moments of, of fluency that are only going to have harmful effects on kids who stutter. And also I think on those kids who stop stuttering because now they're going into the world as children thinking that stuttering is bad. And that all someone has to do is practice and they won't stutter anymore. So when, when those kids, those 80% of kids when like who we're in speech therapy, when they encounter people who stutter out there, of course, they're going to be stigmatized towards them because they learned at a very early age that stuttering is not appropriate and they were praised and celebrated for not doing it anymore. So that was a long spiel. As you said, I'm very passionate about it. Um, And it's definitely something that has really like lit me up in the last year since doing stutterology when I realized how many other people are affected by this. No, and definitely because I know when I was doing speech therapy, my stuttering was rated on a a severity chart. So I used to mark every day where I would sit from zero to 10, zero being 
fluent and 10 having stutters. So then I would mark, be like, okay, today was maybe an eight. Today was a six. And then I would have to graph and see where it was. I could give that to my speech therapist and then we would do things according to that. Or I would do um, like every day I had to mark a special day in, in the in the time, sorry, a special time in the day to practice um, strategies. And my mom and my and the, my therapist would tell my mom. So when she doesn't stutter, then yeah, praise her for not stuttering. Say, oh, that was so great. Or um, yeah, you you didn't stutter there. Or maybe you want to repeat that sentence and do it like that. So yeah, when when I was in therapy, that's the goals that we had as well. And I, I think at first, and even now thinking about it, I didn't really think much of it. I was like, okay, so this is just how it was. And then I changed um, therapists. We still did, um, we still had to mark out times in the day to practice. Um, but it was less on how my stuttering was sounding and more um, about how it's affecting me. So I know when I started school, I was super anxious. Um, and that's when my anxiety started spiking as well. And so she was focusing more on how we can support you do that and less on the stutter. Um, whilst also having, yeah, I still have to mark it. And my, my stuttering did drop. So I did end up becoming a zero. But then when I stopped therapy, and that was about three or four years ago now, um, of course, my stuttering has come back and, um, so it's, yeah, like you said, they don't, I think what happens is when you talk about stuttering, they, they don't actually account what's happening to the child and they just account for more of the stuttering itself. Um, and yeah, so I would love to know um, how, how it affected your childhood and how it affected your understanding of stuttering as well. Yeah. Can I ask you a question about your, your experience? Of course. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah, it's interesting. It changed the my my I wonder if and you wouldn't know this but I wonder if they like had to do that for like insurance purposes or something mm-hmm. like that because mm-hmm. I've heard some speech therapists talk about like measurement goals and stuff um yeah. which is interesting I I still think you can read do it in a different way I don't know about other, other countries but in the U.S. there are different ways to approach it even with weirdly strict insurance stuff around this but I I wanted to ask with the charting your stutter and how much you'd like how you'd self-rate how like what did that like how did that feel to have to do I mean and that's the other thing is that well first of all I never actually used to do it I said at the end of the week be like oh I have to do it and then I just randomly be like oh <laughs> this this felt right <laughs> like I think I started yeah. more that day <laughs> um so that was the first thing but I think the second thing as well is um I think it did slowly start to affect me because then seeing what it looked like and then going back and I think I when we started when we moved we moved houses and I saw my journal and that was the same thing that happened when I started speech therapy when I was six or five I believe and it was the same thing I had to record it and and I think yeah I had never really thought about it until like just this moment that it actually was quite harmful to to think about it that way and actually be like, oh, like it, it sort of feels like it's like an outside, like a disconnection sort of thing. Like my mm-hmm. stutter was one thing and then I was another thing and I was marking it from like an outside perspective, not actually being like, oh, like, you know, it's a part of me. So I guess that's the other side of it at all that I never really thought about. But yeah, I would say it, it did affect me slowly and I started to actually see what it looked like and because then it's like a graph so obviously you can see it's going like this or it's starting to decline and even when I finished therapy I was sitting at a zero and be like oh I'm I feel so proud of myself like I was I was more my stuttering was more severe but now it's not um and then yeah and then it it affected how I saw myself and so when I would stutter more I'd be like oh that this is really harsh but I think after starting my page, sometimes I'd, I'm not stutter for a week and I'd be like, oh my God, my stuttering is gone. Like, I feel so empty. Like, it doesn't, it feels wrong. <laughs> <laughs> like, I feel like a fraud. What am I doing? But then I'd be like, oh, okay, it's back. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. yeah, I think that's the other side of it as well. 
That is a really interesting point that like it teaches you to look at stuttering from an outsider's perspective. Mm. That's really what it's doing. And so then it's like, of course, we struggle so much with thinking that other people are judging our speech because Mm. we literally are being trained to like see that and to watch our speech from an outsider's perspective. And, and even if you don't tell a kid like, okay, a zero is good and a 10 is bad. Like, even if nobody actually says that, Mm. there is, you can't help but associate like a meaning. And even if maybe this speech therapist didn't say it, the other one was implying this heavily. And so that comes with you. Like you're you're still you, even if you change speech therapist. So this new one might not be doing it, but, and and the fact that you get like, um, like, what's it called like discharged when you hit zero like oh the stutter doesn't affect you anymore and it's like that's not true like I'm still very affected (laughs) you know yeah yeah other people aren't noticing it in that particular way yeah but yeah for me yeah for me my experiences were were uh yeah, I don't remember a lot of speech therapy as a kid, which I think is interesting because I remember a lot of other stuff from when I was a kid. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I think it's probably good. Like, it probably means that, like, that, like, I didn't have a super traumatizing experience because I would maybe remember that. I don't know. Um, but my my mom said my first, the first speech therapist when I started to stutter again at six, um, my mom watched my self-esteem like immediately nosedive and she actually yanked me out of that speech therapist that from that speech therapist and found somebody who knew more about stuttering because she associated this increase of of like or the the decrease of my self-esteem not just to the stutter but to the speech therapy that was going on like she picked up that like this was harming me this was not this is making me more reclusive like more insecure about the way that I talked um and so I did have some speech therapists that that it did better than that um but even the subtle things I think really wore me down because I was a pretty like like I talked about this in one of my podcast episodes recently where like, I was a pretty like resilient kid with stuff. I was like, there were, there were a couple of times in speech therapy where I told the speech therapist as a child, like as like a fifth grader, like, I don't like this. I don't want to do this one anymore. <laughs> and they wouldn't know what to do. They'd be like, Oh, well, uh, uh, let's try one more time and then we can stop. And I'm like, I just don't want but like I so like I I had a pretty good amount of agency which I attribute a lot to like I did feel like it was safe in some extent if non-speech therapy from my mom I felt comfortable saying no and my mom like encouraged that kind of stuff is like you know if you don't want to do something say that um but over time even with that it just wears you down this constant focus on like quote unquote getting better um and what that means and how and just like the subtle language of like oh did you have a bad stuttering day like again even if you don't mean to even if everybody knows that what that means is more stuttering you're associating bad and so all of these like very subtle things that I don't think are malicious at all. I I don't think they're they're intending to be in any way negative, but they carry a weight with them. And that stuff wears on you. And yeah, by the time I finished high school, my thought was that by not being fluent, I was disappointing everyone. That I was disappointing, you know, like my mom and my grandma, because they put me in all the speech therapy and I was still st- stuttering it wasn't gone I was disappointing the speech therapist because you know they would be like did you do your homework did you do the and like no I yeah I totally practiced easy onset yeah (laughs) every day like no I wasn't doing any of that and I was I was very I was very in like felt really insecure about that um even though I didn't want to I didn't like there's a reason I didn't do is I didn't like doing it it wasn't it wasn't interesting and I don't think I should have had to power through it I think it was more like okay you don't want to do this that's okay you know um what what do we want to do then and how do we want to shape this but I I was left feeling so like 
yeah, just very misunderstood, especially by my high school SLP. I just thought there was no point to even like try to to voice my opinions because I was going to be misunderstood no matter what. And it just was the way that, like you said, that's the way speech therapy was like. And so I do think it really wore me down to like, even though my speech therapy was not nearly what I, some people had some really traumatizing experience. I hear some stuff. I can't believe some of the stuff I've heard. Um, Shocking and jarring and weird. Um, Even in like modern day, but even like all the subtle stuff for me really wore me down over time. And just really like you, like we were saying, really teaches you that other people are observing how much you stutter and that they prefer when you stutter less like that's the message you get and of course you're going to go through your the rest of your life thinking the same thing especially like you were saying when speech therapists get the parents involved it is horrifying that is one of the most horrifying things to me that I can think of because the best thing my mom and I really think the reason that like I've been like the self-acceptance journey was stuttering was a little, it was still really hard, but I think it was easier for me than it is for some people because my mom never once commented on my fluency or how much I stuttered or not in a conversation ever. No, I cannot remember a single time. She said a lot of other horrible things. (laughs) Just just kidding. But like, you know, we, we had a very like turbulent relationship when I was a teenager, right? Like, as a teenager, a lot of times we want to isolate ourselves from our parents because we feel like they're critiquing everything about us. Um, but at least the stuttering was okay. You know, I didn't think about my stutter when I would argue with her. Like, I never thought that she was going to mention it. And I think that that's why home for my stutter was a very safe place and why I I was able to get to that maybe quicker than somebody else who didn't have a safe environment anywhere you know um because some people you know they're facing it in speech therapy home should never feel like people are monitoring the way that you speak like that's just that's gonna hurt your relationship with your parents too because yeah yeah they're they're watching for every little mistake they're they're not listening to you you know, if you, if, if you were to like walk into the kitchen right now and I was like, you did such a great job walking so smooth, you'd be like, first of all, what are you talking about? And does that mean I was doing something wrong before? But it also makes you think, wow, this person is observing me and looking for like things to point out. Um, and like, we don't ever, we don't ever want to encourage that between a parent and a kid, right? Like you don't want to think that your parents constantly monitoring every single word you say listening for you to quote-unquote screw up so (laughs) no but absolutely and I think yeah I feel really intense (laughs) no 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 absolutely not but it's important because I think also like we should probably say we're not attacking speech pathologists I think it's like the bigger broader idea um no it's the broader idea that yeah fluency should never be a goal and I think the other thing that was really interesting that I was thinking about like you said how does it make you feel I think also in the other sense I found that as a positive experience because I'm like okay now I'm fluent I can go to school and not stutter and I'm not going to feel that I need to hide it or anything so that was I guess the other sense of it was like okay after I finished therapy I was sitting at a zero I was not stuttering as much and then I could go to school and feel again quote unquote normal I hate that word but anyway we'll move past it just just for argument's (laughs) sake (laughs) um but yeah it was quite yeah it was and I think everyone like everyone was kind of involved yeah all of this fluency stuff that's what it was like as well so but anyway that was just my experience but Yeah, yeah yeah I I do I do yeah I feel like I should probably always start my rants with like you know like I know that almost every speech therapist but they got into it because they want to help people yeah, and they absolutely. really like they're taught that these things are helpful how how are they going to know unless we like educate them differently I don't I don't blame them for doing these things and I also always want to remind like parents who have done these things and they might freak out because now I'm making them feel really bad (laughs) it's like you you know one 
you your what your kid's gonna remember if you were to address this again is like um is um um well how how are you handling now that you do know you mm. know like now you know so are you are you gonna have a conversation with your kid now or are you gonna you know and like some kids might not feel that way they might be okay with parents commenting on stuff it might make a different impact on them mm-hmm. um but I, I I always think like if a parent has been doing that if they tell their kids you know they, they hear this stuff and they're like I don't want to do this anymore I don't mm-hmm. want to harm my kid mm-hmm. and they go and they have a conversation that's gonna be something that kid remembers of like wow no one eventually kids learn their parents aren't perfect. Right. And, but if you can see your parent like grow from something, that's going to make them feel so like appreciated and and loved of like, wow. Okay. Like the, they realized that this maybe wasn't the best. And so they decided to like find a better way to support me, but their goal was always to support me. I do think there is a lot in that, that like will make a a, po- a really positive impact on the kids. So I don't want to ever make anybody feel bad because we can't hold ourselves to standards that like weren't possible for us to n- n- know about, you know, this is a more systemic issue. And it's why I want to like talk about it is because if everyone's just talking about it in the shadows, then like this will continue to happen, right? We won't ever see actual change. If we if we address this from like the root and the core of like the school system for SLPs needs to be addressing this and the requirements to be like, this needs to be like further up. The, the, the people responsible aren't like the SLPs in the t- local school as far as like, fixing the big problem it is on them to like when they learn you know like to to to, to like try to learn more and that but like it's not on them to like fix the systemic issue as much as it is like this is a cultural thing there's people higher up that need to be held responsible for this because people are unknowingly causing harm they're doing it from like wanting to help wanting to do good things and that's even more heartbreaking to me it's like they genuinely think this is what is the most helpful thing i can do and like the kid who stutters like you said is often gonna like encourage that because we're one wanting to please the people around us and fluency is what pleases people and so of course we're gonna do it and we think that that's what we we want because we think that that's the only way that we can like navigate the world and be successful in the world is if we're fluent and so of course we're gonna be like celebrating when we have a zero day because we're like i can do this in the world the problem is that doesn't like set us up for long-term success, right? Because the stutter comes back um, and learning how to navigate stuff with a stutter is something that I think is just so much more beneficial for every, everyone involved, but I definitely don't like fault individuals. Anyone who's like listening to this, I'm like, you're already doing great. Cause you're wanting to learn more. You're trying to learn more. You're awesome. Cause you are open to learning more. And that is sometimes I think the most incredible and most important thing that we can ask for. No, yeah, definitely. I think it's it's the first step to kind of changing the way we see stuttering and stuttering goals. And yeah, it's important that we sort of deal with the the crux of it than looking at the like, I don't know, the connections to it, I guess you can call it. I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. yeah. Because like I don't want to shame individuals, you know. Mm. Like it's not, and I think that's part of the reason we don't see some of the like bigger organizations really talking a lot about it is because they don't want to like step on the toes of, of people who are mm. really just trying their best and trying yeah. to like do good. Um, Absolutely. But like, yeah. But I just think the only way it's going to change though is if we if we talk about it and if we mm. address the actual harm like there are and also i want to say there's so many good speech therapists and there's so many good like excellent people out there who are who are learning who know oh, there's people who stutter who become slps who sometimes like my grammar right people who stutter can be like the worst critics of others stutters but but a lot of these people that i know who stutter and are speech therapists are very compassionate and they have a very like positive worldview about their their stutter so there's a lot of people out there who are good 
and like, and are doing things in a way that like, I don't think will cause harm. Uh, so I always also should say that, like, it's not all speech ther- therapists. I don't want parents to be like afraid of speech therapy <laughs> for their kid, but just like making sure that like, there's an alignment there, you know? Yeah, exactly. A balance. It's all we need is good balance. <laughs> Yeah. Um, I would love to know if you have any ad- advice for teenagers who start or who may be feeling isolated or alone or any advice for them at school as well. Man, first of all, and I've said this to you, like it's hard to be a teenager. I hate when like people who are like older adults criticize teenagers for being like this or this because it's so hard like there's so many hormone changes in school and people and friends and family and like your whole world is being uprooted all the time um and i think knowing that like i think the most important thing is what we really had already kind of said of the like where can you identify a place that's like safe for you right is there anywhere and if there's not like how can you find that right like who can you reach out to maybe that can help you find that but having somewhere that's like safe to go to and with the stuttering where people know that you stutter and they're not gonna like judge the way you communicate whether you're hiding your stutter or whether you're doing it openly or whether you're just not stuttering very much at that time or you are like people who aren't affected by it and aren't like giving quote unquote advice or like having a place that you can go to and like yeah you can just talk whatever that means I just feel like that's the most important thing it's a big reason why people really dive into finding their local stuttering community right is because they know they don't have to think about it they don't have to think about the way that they're talking um they can just talk and people will listen to them and I think that's like the most important thing we can have I think there's another piece too of the like um things aren't always what they currently are so when you're in school there's so much of a focus on the way you're speaking on class participation on raising your hand in class and repeating things that people already know like when you're doing a class presentation on like a chapter in the book that everybody else should have already read nobody nobody's really listening to the content right because they're focused on like they already know this so they either not paying attention or they're just like listening for no reason really but other than they have to and so they're going to notice things like the stutter they might make comments and that is not how the real world works at all right like that's that doesn't really exist much outside of the classroom environment like when you talk in the workplace when you're doing a presentation you are sharing information usually that the other people don't know and so people want to listen to you and they want to listen to your content and in those situations nobody really most people don't I shouldn't say nobody but most people don't care if you're stuttering because they're listening to what you're saying and the people that do care are usually people you can like avoid because how much do you really want to be around like some adult who's like listening for that you know you're like no I I don't need this um but yeah like the the real world I think is so much it's so different from school and if school's really hard just knowing it's not always going to be that way you know it's not always going to be hard and I'm sorry and I wish we could do better I wish the world were different I wish school was a completely different system that's a whole nother thing for me but at the very least know that like it won't always be this this way you know and um I think the the line of like things will be better things will get better it sounds so cheesy it sounds so like cliche to say but it it really will because of the way the system for school is set up um some people thrive some people do great and some people are really missed and are really negatively impacted by the focus of certain things if they're not given an environment to succeed in and it won't always be like that like jobs aren't like that for the most part it almost ever and so knowing you know 
it's it's going to change and that change if if it's hard right now that change is probably going to be good right the the people who look back on their high school years as the best years of their life are people who sometimes aren't very happy with their current life um and so to like keep that in mind like these don't have to be the best years of your life right like they can just be years of your life that like hopefully you can find a safe place hopefully you can carve out some good memories with some of the people that you know but they don't have to be the best years of your your life like you're living in a you're living so structured at that age like there's so little agency that you have and it won't always be that way and for some people that spirals them into chaos but for some of us it's a way to finally breathe and to think i don't have to live up to all of these other standards so that's probably a lot it's probably hard to like actually know because when you're a teenager that's all you've ever known is yeah. the structure yeah um, but yeah but like it will be different one day yeah that's amazing advice <laughs> I think that's I think it's hard <laughs> in the moment to kind of yeah actually and I think also having a stutter and going to school you don't know many or if any people or the teens who stutter so I think yeah. that's the other thing as well is that you want to be able to connect with someone but that person may not, you may not know them just yet. And so then it's even harder because you don't have someone to kind of vent your um, uh, experiences to as well, which is another thing. But I think even just finding that one person, person who stutters or not, that you can at least talk to. And um, yeah, I know that we talked about having, talking to our friends about it. So even if it's just one person that can, that can be, yeah, just enough to, to do it as well. Yeah. And having that like validation, you know, like yeah. sometimes you tell somebody and if they don't stutter and they don't really understand it, they might go, oh, well, that was just the one person. Yeah. Um, which can feel invalidating. Mm-hmm. And um, some people are willing to learn from that sometimes. And they're not, they're always saying it from like trying to like be helpful, but it mm-hmm. feels very invalidating because it does dismiss that like this is like a systemic issue, mm. you know? And even if the person didn't like mean their comment that way, or they just said mm. something offhand, it for us is a reminder that this is the world that we're in. It's not even just that one isolated incident, it's everything. Mm. And so that can be a big benefit of finding someone else who stutters, who gets that. Although there are a lot of people who don't stutter who also get that, but that might be a little harder to find in high school. Mm. Um, because you have to you have to go through things sometimes to to find that you know mm. you have to have issues and be able to see that bigger structure and for people who maybe haven't experienced that as much they're not going to notice it yet mm. they might one day but they might not yet but, yeah so it might be having somebody who's letters it might be someone else but it also might be a little bit harder to find at that age yeah that's true that's a good point as well (laughs) yeah exactly and I think sometimes especially yeah (laughs) yeah (laughs) that's the other thing (laughs) um I want to also talk to you uh a little bit about why you started your page Stutterology um and kind of what was the inspiration for it so I actually originally started um with the goal of of helping provide uh, parents resources on like how to learn more about stuttering, how to make sure that like their, their kids can be going to a speech therapist that is helping them and not, not harming them. It, it's kind of funny now in, in hindsight, like a year ago, that was really more of my f- focus was on the parents um, because I know that it can be oftentimes harder for the parent than it is for the, the kid because they're, they're so scared of things and it can be hard for them to hear, you know, it's going to, it's going to be okay when all they've seen is things not being okay. Um, But in the, in the last, uh, since like March, it started to kind of like reshape itself. And I still, you know, it's obviously still a really important thing for me, but um, the focus now more on like, let's address some of this um, the crux of the issue, you know, it's not like just being able to help parents emotionally is important, but how how can we just avoid some of this more? Like, how do we make this a larger conversation um, so that we don't need to be doing all of this? We don't need to constantly be be catching up. And then another big thing that I care a lot about is the um, 
there's a very big overlap with stuttering and ADHD. Uh, when I was diagnosed with ADHD when I was 30, my person that diagnosed me told me that the research she was aware of said that, as we know, right, currently, like about 6% of kids have a stutter at some point in their childhood. And um, for kids who stutter, that number was about 30%. Or for, for kids who have ADHD, that number is about 30%, which is a wild difference. Like that is, that is a like very noticeable, you know, like, oh, clearly there's something going on. There's some, something with the brain. Cause we know that uh, this, this, this is a big aspect of like neuroscience. I don't know anything about that, but there's this big connection there, obviously. And I, felt like there wasn't a lot of material that addressed this and that no one really knew that. Like I learned this at 30 and I felt kind of um, insulted in a way because I've been stuttering my entire life. My brother was diagnosed with ADHD. Uh, It should have raised a few flags. And I know things have changed a lot since then, but like, would people know now to look for that? I I don't know. Um, And I was pretty hor- and I the, I whenever I tell somebody that statistic they're shocked they had no idea that there was so much of an overlap and I've noticed so many people in the stuttering community who are neurodivergent who may or may not know yet and they figure it out as they go they might like self-diagnose and they think why is some of this messaging just not working for me you know it's not it's not good it's not helpful like one of the big things I focus on recently is like eye contact there's a really big emphasis in this this stuttering world to like focus on eye contact to show you're listening to somebody but for autistic people and for some people with different forms of ADHD eye contact is very uncomfortable and it's not the stuttering that's making it's the it's just built in like eye contact for me is very uncomfortable and person and I I it's a lot and it becomes really hard to focus on conversation if I'm trying to maintain eye contact and I I think it really does a disservice to push this idea for everyone if there's anybody with this overlap at all right so if there's even one person who stutters and is a a a a but if there is a larger overlap than we even know, then we're pushing this messaging actually on a lot of people. And I I really want to help like make these connections and, and bridge that that gap of information because I've learned so much from the disability community and the neurodivergent community. Like I've I've always been really interested in like learning about the various forms of activism and and issues like I've known issues with the organization Autism Speaks like 10 years ago I knew about this and a lot of people still don't know what surprised me but there's just so much we can learn from each other and like overlap that exists in different marginalized community communities um and so i wanted to share i want to share that knowledge too because i do think it feels very empowering to learn those the things and see those overlaps and helps give you an example of another way it could be like you had said i just thought this was what speech therapy was like and that's what, what i thought too until people presented me with these other ideas of maybe it doesn't have to be this this way. Absolutely. I know I've learned a lot and I, I mean, I think I'll, I don't remember who I spoke to, but I remember they, I think it might've been Martha, Martha's speech. And she mentioned that there was an overlap with ADHD and I had absolutely no idea that that was ever a thing. I know when I spoke to people um, about having, there's a link between stuttering and anxiety, and that's something that I suffer with. And when I spoke to other people who stuttered, that's not their case at all. And I found that really, sorry, really interesting as well. Um, And so, yeah, I think, I mean, I've learned definitely a lot of a lot from your page and um and even when you start talking about fluency that's not something that i had ever really considered that there was like such a change in therapy that we should move away from fluency thank you yeah i really just think a lot of it is like we just haven't really been told that like mm. hey that like kind of weird feeling that you pushed down your entire life <laughs> of something not being quite right yeah actually that's a really important is like a name for it and this yeah. is what you can 
do to understand it more yeah. like that's really I think what most of us need and we're like oh wait a second <laughs> you know <laughs> Um, so yeah, we've talked a lot about fluency and everything, and it's kind of coming to the end of the episode today, but, um, I love to finish off with a game and I thought we would play two truths and a life. I haven't played it in a really long time. So, um, and you've, have you played it before or? I have, yeah. Okay, cool. So you're all aware of how it works. That's good. (laughs) Um, but I was wondering if you wanted to go first. Mm. Oh, uh, like I, I share my my two truths. Uh, so, yes, yes. Growing up, I was not afraid. So not afraid of one of, or I was sorry. Let me rephrase. When I was growing up, I was afraid of all of these things. Okay. Snakes, dogs, and clowns. Which one's the lie? Oh, this is really tough. Okay, because, I mean, they're all scary. <laughs> so this is really <laughs> Um. Okay. Um. I mean, I live out in the bush, you could sort of say. So I've seen a lot of snakes, and they're pretty terrifying. So that could be one. Uh, <laughs> Clowns. I don't know if it ever happened for you, but we had a phase here in Australia where killer clowns was a thing. That like these clowns were coming and killing. Really? People. Yeah, it was a whole a whole Jesus thing. <laughs> so clowns. Um Okay, I'm just gonna say I'm oh I'm gonna say dogs. I don't know. <laughs> That's fair, because I love dogs now. But no, the lie was I was weirdly not afraid of clowns until like I'm a little afraid of clowns now, to be honest. But growing up, growing up, I was not afraid of clowns. I was actually terrified of dogs as a kid. Wow. Um, Okay. Which now I like dogs, so it's a funny (laughs) full circle. But yeah, yeah, (laughs) somewhere along the line. Killer clowns, man. That is so. There is this, there is something as eerie about them, to be totally honest. But like, yeah, the, yeah. That if, if I had known about like that growing up, I would be. If I had watched it growing up, I probably that probably would be one of my like top yeah five fears. Yeah. But and yeah. then like snakes, I have always been terrified of snakes. I mm. will always be. I have like phobias. To, status on those things like yeah someone could have a gardener snake and be like this thing's completely safe and i'd be like get that away from <laughs> that is like satan like get away from me so yeah i was like that too but now that we've had seen like four or five and i'm just like oh at this point i just i don't even know <laughs> it's whatever like, i can see it i just can't be i can't touch it that's that's where i draw the line <laughs> Oh god, I can't even see I can't even if I see a picture of a snake, I freak. Which is atrocious because growing up, like we had a lot of snakes in our yard at my yeah. mom's. And yeah. a couple times our cats brought snakes into the live oh, snakes into god. the house. That happened multiple times growing up. And I was absolutely lost my mind terrified every single time and screamed. <laughs> like <laughs> terrifying. Yeah, my mom is like deathly scared of it like she can't even have the lollies she's just anything so when we've had them she would be hyperventilating like when we had the snakes outside she was yeah gone absolutely gone okay let's i'll do mine now i guess (laughs) um okay so i've got three they're pretty random things we'll just go for it um so the first one is i have i have a, a a crazy dog um i've cheated on a major exam or my birthday is next week. <laughs> Ooh. That's tough. Um, I'm going to say that you have not cheated on a major exam. Yeah. I'm not, how did you get that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, that's correct. I'm a you just don't seem like somebody. <laughs> yeah. No, definitely I, not. I thought I was like, well... I, I, I don't know if I cheated on a major exam growing up, but I did cheat on ex- exams growing up, but um, not major 
but I was I, so I was like, well, that could be true. I could see somebody throwing that in, just like because if I said it, I think somebody would think that they'd be like, you wouldn't cheat on an exam. I'm like, yes, I would have. <laughs> um, but then I thought about it again. I'm like, no, I don't. I don't think. I don't think she would. I don't think yeah, so. And I if just, she, uh... I don't think she would admit it. <laughs> yeah, that that's so. a good point. Like the worst I've done is just like. I've, I've done the look I've done the look over but I'm I'm terrified like I would never <laughs> no nah, it's too I, much for the, me the problem is when you like when you've gotten away with it even one time you're like okay like I got caught a couple times I would like look over and I was not subtle I wasn't like good at, I wasn't good at, I was never good at it yeah I just would occasionally like if I didn't know the answer look over yeah, and then I would write it in and got away got away with it a few times but got caught several times yeah I, and I never did cheating on a test big way I never did it for any like big thing yeah yeah but I did do it a few times <laughs> I had friends who in class would be like we watched you just looking <laughs> over at our exam I'm like okay got that one <laughs> like I was I wasn't good at it. (laughs) And I think like as far as you can go is like multiple choice. Like that's probably as far as you can get with actually cheating because everything else you can't really, like everyone's like the handwriting. It's just, it's just all. (laughs) Uh, Multiple choice. Yeah. I don't feel like there's an an easy way to do it if it comes to like in person, but like don't like kids today. They they, they all use like iPad and and tablets in school. So I don't know what a difference that would making stuff yeah like when I was because I mean for the last two years I've been at home so I never actually had to do any of it <laughs> like I couldn't cheat <laughs> um but when I was at school yeah, yeah we had right, like, yeah. exams was on the laptop but we couldn't actually cheat because it was like a lockdown thing so they would kind of like like our whole laptop would be locked down we couldn't do anything I mean people tried we tried we were a very inquisitive bunch <laughs> we, right. we couldn't do anything because our whole laptop was <laughs> locked <laughs> So, yeah, I don't know. So interesting. Yeah, I feel like it would really change some of the, like, the ways in which, yeah. Definitely. Um, But thank you so much, Ezra, for joining me today. Um, I mean, as always, you just, you have the most insightful <laughs> insights into everything. And I think every time I, like, listen to you or see your Instagram, I'm always like, wow, I've never thought about that. <laughs> so that's always, that's always good to to know but um yeah before we end i would love to know if um if there's anything that um you have any exciting projects coming up or (laughs) where you want people to find you as well if you want to just shout it out i guess (laughs) yeah thanks um yeah it's been really great to be on here i really appreciate everything that you do and the stuff that you post is also incredible and it's just really cool like i said really cool to see um like that younger perspective because i mean we're not even like i mean i'm 32 so we're it's not like we're like you know light years away in age but it's the world just changes so much all the time um with like technology stuff that it's it's just a different world and so i think it's really cool that there's somebody there's like people out there who who are young and i think um can connect with other people and really get it you know um, but yeah, so you can find me on the main place is on Instagram at stutterology. That's the stutter and then ology O L O G Y. Like, like it's a, a play on the like biology 101 type of thing. So it's stutterology on Instagram. Um, there's a podcast of the same name that doesn't get updated as, as much, but it does get updated occasionally. Um, the first season is mostly aimed at parents. And then I recently released the last two episodes about the monster study by Wendell Johnson, which was an experiment done in 1939 at univer- with the University of Iowa um, about stuttering and seeing if they could force orphans to stutter by telling them to watch their speech. Um the other place you can find me i have a sub stack which is a blog at Mm -hmm. uh you can find the link on the instagram page but if you don't have instagram you can go to um it's either stutterology.substack.com or the other way around Mm -hmm. i think it's (laughs) stutterology.substack.com yeah (laughs) and so um 
I, the biggest thing in the works right now, though, is I, I just accepted to be co chair of the board for a new organization called space Mm -hmm. and they're doing some really cool stuff that i am really excited to be on board for and to navigate stuff with so yeah those are those are the exciting things going on but yeah so i love watching this the space um instagram looks so cool and i love yeah the work that is happening but yeah i'll i'll put all of your links down in the description so everyone can follow you which everyone should so (laughs) make sure you go and do that as well (laughs) um but yeah if if, yeah yeah um and 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 if you would like to to support this page you can follow start a conversation on instagram twitter i started a mailing list not that i've updated anything on that so i gotta go back onto that but you can check that out as well um and also if you could leave a review on um wherever you listen to podcasts that also helps as well and i just figured i had to do that so that's also another great thing but <laughs> thank you so much ezra for joining me today thanks so much ezra <laughs> thank you have thank have you. a good rest of your day thank you